dad's dad the borders. A dedicated dad and long-distance parent, I'm raising two boys in two countries, and in each episode, I invite another dad to join me in a podcast adventure to talk about our journey as parents. We will discuss the messiness of modern dadding and the challenges of long-distance parenting. At the end of each episode, I will be checking in with psychologist and fellow dad Todd Kettner as he shares his insights into parenthood. My name is Blue, and I am a Dad Without Borders. Okay, we are live. It's happening. Excellent. And you know what? Nerves can settle now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, Jason, thanks so much for joining me for this podcast. It's a new adventure. And you know what I was thinking? Actually, I was just thinking this right now. We've been trying, I feel like we've been trying to have this conversation, just check in and actually catch up properly for years. Oh, we yeah. talked about going canoeing, having a beer, and I just feel like life got in the way. Yeah, and, no, uh, great to see you and catch up again, for sure. Could you just introduce kind of your who your dad to and where you are, kind of what your situation is in that sense? So my name's Jason. I'm father to Nick, uh, who's just about to be a 22-year-old adult. I have no idea how that ever came about, but uh, it has. <laughs> Um, yeah, single dad, uh, basically from the get go. Yeah. And you've, and you're now, you just moved too. big move to be close to the family. Move back to the ocean. Yeah. Uh, and it is closer to family and that, uh, dad's in a, a care home and mom's aging as well. So yeah, get close, get closer to family for now and yeah, see where things settle. For sure. So we know each other from the Kootenays. And Nick was in a program more than one, on more than one occasion, but the same program, but an outdoor program that I was doing at this, uh, the homeschool, the online school. Yep. And yeah, so that's kind of, that's kind of where we met. I probably back in 2013, I think, or somewhere that around there would sound about right. So it's been a few years. It has been a few years. I, yeah. Some 2012, 2013, something like yeah. that. Right. And I feel like, yeah, I feel like the, the connection there is, well, at the time, single dad, uh, or going into, I was sort of going through that process of like separation and becoming a single dad. And uh, I feel like you were a little bit of a light on the horizon to me as a dad, a very engaged single dad who was um, with a redhead kid who, like my kid, is a redhead. And I don't know, he just wears shorts all through the year. I think my kid does too. Yeah. It's just that it's kind of funny. There's a few little quirky things about the redheads that I kind of, I would acknowledge that. Seth has the same sort of characteristics of Nick as well. And, and yeah, I think um, I just wanted to acknowledge actually that um, I really appreciated while I was going through the separation and the divorce and trying to focus, refocus my life around being a single dad, that even the occasional messages from you on Instagram and Facebook, because I kind of feel like I used Instagram to maintain community and support by sharing pictures of what I was doing as a dad and things like that. And I just want to acknowledge that I really appreciate it. And it made a massive difference to me. Just those occasional messages from you that just acknowledged someone that could empathize and feel what I was going through. I really felt that I really, when I got messages from you, I could tell that you could really, you were really there 
could you maybe just kind of just give a quick background as like how did you end up as a single dad in the Kootenays um living here raising it like I think there was a long process of going through courts like was it here was it overseas like what if you could just kind of briefly give us a quick rundown yep, yep. so I was working um working and traveling and that and met Nick's mother down in the southern U.S. I uh, did the whole marriage birth bit and uh, things began to fall apart. There was struggles with um, trauma and addiction, the ex-wife dealing with those kinds of things. Um, and it just got to the point where it was too much for the, the marriage, particularly with Nick in the picture and that. Um, so started the process, which ended up being a very long, very long process, uh, almost 10 years in court. Wow. Yeah. I was four years, so I can relate, but like 10 years, that's... Yeah. Yeah, basically, if you have the money, you can just continually take people to court. So that's kind of what happened. Um, started it down in the South uh, U.S., and ended up moving up to Bellingham, trying to be closer to my family and that. And yeah, and again, a lot of lot of court battles, not on the divorce end. The, the, the technical divorce went pretty quickly. I just threw my hands up and said, I'll take all the debt and all of that. Right. And be done with it. Just move on. It was the custody and visitation and safety of Nick that uh, just dragged on forever. So at the beginning of that, were you co-parenting or were you full-time parent or? I had full custody from the start. Um, that is a pretty wide range of what visitation looks like. Yeah, uh, sure. At the start, it was the typical every other weekend. And it, at the beginning, it was two nights midweek as well. And then it was a matter of going back and forth with her addiction challenges and that um, safety issues would arise. She would lose some visitation, go through a period of time and, and supposed help, um, and then get visitation back again. That's, that's the short story. Of yeah. No. <laughs> um, and so you're in Bellingham. Was it difficult making the move over the border? Oh, that was a full, yeah. Everything had to do with the courts. Uh, right, nothing right. happened with Nick that didn't involve the courts, basically. Right. Um, so the court experience yeah. was in the US, it sounds like, pretty much. Until the point you were, you got to Canada. For courts, yeah. Yeah, all yeah. the court business was, was down on the States. Um, we moved back to Canada, or Nick for the first time to Canada, uh, in two late 2009 2010 and so how old is he at this point well you just said i could probably do the math actually he's, <laughs> he's 10 he's got to be hang on yeah he's he's, he's around that yeah it was moving from the states to canada the schooling system and so he went from one oh, yeah. grade into a different grade and so yeah yeah that's a big and plus just the stress of life at that time memories a little fuzzy yeah no doubt no doubt it's just um, survival isn't it yeah yeah, but it was it was the crash of 2008 that oh, really right. drove me back across the border to Canada. Right. So you needed to um, move to find money and find a, a good job. Yeah, I just I mean I wasn't I didn't have permission. I couldn't 
I could have left the U.S., but I would have had to leave Nick behind, which right. just was never, never an option. Yeah. So in, in 2008, when that crash happened, uh, I've been in construction. And so it fell apart down there and there were opportunities in Canada. So the court managed to side with me. Right. That, uh, I could move Nick to Canada with me. So, wow. Yeah. Were you like, I'm just wondering, do you, were you ready to have a kid when you had a kid? No. Yeah, no, definitely not. Uh, I was, what would I have been? 26 when I had Nick. Oh yeah. That's young. Uh, yeah. Young. I was married and, and I'd always thought, you know, I'll have kids and that was always in there. Um, but it wasn't planned. Yeah. Um, so it, uh, easy transition for me, it was, Oh yeah. It, for me, it was, it, it just, it, I don't know. I, I mean, talking about this, I'm instantly right back into the delivery room and holding them for the first time. And yeah, basically being guided down the, the hallways of the hospital to take them to the nursery and having nurses turn me and twist me because I wasn't paying attention to where I was going at all. Just, just looking the, at him. I think my initial reaction was panic and I have to earn money. I've got to get a job. I got to work hard. I got to get the fence up and fix the roof and all of those kind of things. Yeah. That was my initial instinct was like, and with that, the stress of holding all that, I think. So a bit fuzzy around. Yeah. Those, those early months for sure. Like you dove full on, eh? Like, and you said, because since then I've seen you as turning up at that school, what, imp what was really noticeable, I was thinking about this was that you were kind of, I was surprised to see a dad there. I've got to be honest yeah. because I was at that time with a, with a, you know, I was married and early stages of having, um, you know, a son, first son. And I I don't know. I was just, I was really taking on the, like, I have to be the provider and all those kind of things. And you seem to be coming into the school and being the nurturer very much. And I remember thinking, I'm not used to seeing that. Yeah. And were you ever conscious of that being the oh, dad all the time? Role? Oh yeah. All the, all the time. I, I'm an introvert through and through and, uh, and yeah, basically being a single dad, you stand out in any crowd when kids are involved. And you're uh, a big guy. Let's just say that too. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't know what oh, six yeah. foot something. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. you're, you're up in the clouds. So yeah. Like how, how did you deal with that? Did you have counseling? Was there any men's groups you went to? Were there other dads that you could reach out to? Early on? No, no. I mean, when this was all happening, it was early two thousands. Um, there wasn't a dad's group to be found. Um, I had Nick in counseling early early oh, wow. on, but I, I didn't go myself. Well, yeah, there was a lot of, I mean, dealing with, with his mom's trauma and addiction and, and that there was a lot that he had to learn. He had to grow up quickly and learn to be yeah. able to say no to a parent and, and such. So that all came through counseling. Right. And um, that Did that help? It helped him. Yeah. 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 It took a long time and a lot of different counselors to find a good fit, but uh, yeah, it, it helped for him. Um, I tried some, just never felt really connected. Um, honestly, most of the time it was women. For me, it was, it, uh, I don't know, almost a lack of, not knowledge, but understanding. I, it's, 
there's no way that male female can can really understand what we're each going through um and i found that challenging there was um i guess almost an instant judgment that i didn't know how to parent and didn't know how to do all these things and right um i found that difficult to to process and then at the same time it was almost uh hmm how would i put it given the bet not not i mean not really even given the benefit of the doubt oh the yeah we're going back what 20 not 20 years i guess but we're, we're going back a bit Close, yeah. early 2000s yeah. yeah i feel like we're in the transition where people now are seeing you know dads as the nurturers and having you know an equal kind of role in that sense but yeah i think you're right i think it's hard for it would be hard really truly to understand unless you are a male counselor yeah to understand what it is i mean the pressures just life pressures you mentioned making money and fixing the fence and and all of that business and i mean honestly it kind of feels like that kind of sits on our shoulders I think Anyways, so. I, uh, I feel it for sure. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's how, definitely how I felt at the time. Um, and then it was just this sudden burst of here's something completely different, a child, how like parenting and, and, and business and a whole nother level of responsibility. Yeah. I did notice things changing. Once, uh, once we moved to the Kootenays and into Nelson, um, eventually there were more dad. I never saw a dad's group like an actual dad's parenting group. Um, but there were more men. Um, and I was, I mean, involved with sweat lodges and, and, and different groups of that nature. Um, and there was more conversation in that sometimes. Right. Sometimes. Um, but really most of the time it, it was, it was mothers. I mean, at, at schools yeah. and, and all of that business. So, Did you feel that were people open? Like how, when, when you came to talk to teachers, community leaders, you know, maybe activity coaches, things like that. Did you, did you feel they were treating you differently? It depends on the situation where it was schools and that coming into the school and being a father that wanted to be, you know, help out in class when I could or whatever. Um, open arms and just like almost awe, like they didn't know what was happening and going on, which was hard, honestly. It, it, it pissed me off at the time that there weren't more dads oh, involved and, yeah. and more dads around to, to chat with because I knew plenty of great fathers. Yeah. They were all in marriages at the time that were working out and that, so it, right. different situations. Um, Do you think they naturally... Um kind of a given that in that marriage that that was what the mum would do and the dad was busy out working? No, for the most part, for the most part. I, I mean, there were a, a few occasions where that's not the case, but uh, yeah, it was a team and it makes a huge difference. Even if it's uh, not the best uh, relationship, say, yeah. with your spouse or whatever, it's, it's a team and yeah. it's so much easier when there's two people. Yeah, hundred percent. It's yeah. so true. Yeah. And um, and then the other thought I had there was, do you feel that the Kootenays? Did you? Is it different here? Like how you traveled through? Like you lived in some different places down in the states, 
and yeah. we well, live in a different place now but you're in a different pl- different space i would say yeah. now nick's bigger but yeah, yeah did you was the coonies like did did you feel it wrapped its arms around you in that sense because i do feel there's a strong sense of community i mean the single there's a lot of single mums here that have yeah. a very strong community it's always been a thing it's talked about as a dad did you feel was it different here or was it just like being anywhere else same thing same same issues same like oh look there's a single dad this is strange he's wanting to get involved pretty much the same thing in the schools and that um there was definitely more feeling of community in nelson i mean nelson's a bubble honestly it's a bit of a safety bubble in this world yeah i agree um which was really nice i i mean i'll be honest coming when i got court permission to come back to canada my emotions fell apart once i got here there was just this feeling of safety that i had around nick somehow um that i was able to kind of let my defenses down a little bit and boy when as soon as i let a little bit go it just kind of dropped out of the bottom so in a good way in a good way in a good way in the end yeah oh right okay yeah it was it was tough for me i mean it it really i went uh into depression and and dealing with that and and dealing with that when you're a single parent too is well you got to keep showing up every day right yeah and and for me it was pushing myself down and away and not dealing with my stuff in order to be there for nick so do you feel as a single dad though it's got and i was a single parent i was two years but when i say single parent and I was, but I was 50-50. So we had equal, you know, yeah. shared custody. Like There was no arguments about that, to be fair, with his mom. She was always great about that. And yeah. so I had half the week to myself. But while I had him, all I could do was, like, feed him. It just yeah. takes up your whole day. Like, it, it really does. does. You yeah. know, what I found, too, actually, was even on the on the switch days. So then he goes back to his mom. He gets dropped off either in the evening or... During the day, it depended, I think, on it could be a morning or evening. Either way, the, at least one whole day, I needed just to collapse. Oh, but absolutely. I don't know what it was, just the shift, just changing energy. I didn't have that energy to go to the bar. And yeah. then with and with that, I was pretty much like, then I'm back to work. It's Monday. Yeah. And I yeah. kind of lost my my social life utterly. You'd move to the Coonies. Yeah. You let yourself go a little bit. It sounds like almost you found where home is going to be, you now sort of collapse. Uh, You know, you're sort of dealing with depression, but at the same time, you're being a dad and you got to show up every day. What happens next? Like, did you reach out? I know you've been to sweat lodges. Like, was there anything that really helped sort of move you to the next stage? Uh, I, I started seeing a counselor. I had to do something. To, to start moving some of the energy. Uh, it just wasn't going anywhere. And and again, I, I it was tough to find the support around. Um, so started with that. And that's when I got introduced to the Sweat Lodge community and that. Um, and that expanded to a lot of other plant medicine groups and, and so forth. So a lot of soul searching for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, trying to, I mean, Nick was moving into teen years at, at that point. So there's, once you hit that stage, there's like little cracks of, of space where you're like, 
oh, you, you mean I actually have my own life and my own interests and that? So it, it, a lot of reflection on what I want to do and how do you move forward? And yeah. And then at the same time, I started approaching my 40s. And <laughs> so time for reflection. <laughs> Panic setting in. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, though, I got to say, my f turning 40 was easy. Turning 30, I didn't like that because yeah. I felt like now I had to, moving from 29 to 30, I felt like I had to grow up and get a, you know, look for a house and, I, you know, I should settle down and be, have a regular job and all those kind of things. And I still wasn't ready at that point. So then at 40, at that point, I was married. I had a kid, I bought a house, I had like a grown up job. I was going into an office and it was like, I kind of didn't even want to acknowledge it. I'm like, oh, I'm already here. I'm already 40 anyway. I feel it. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, so you're moving into 40, like a Nick's. So one thing as well, I remember that you were canoeing. Like, yeah. did you did you find time to, you know, get into nature, find activities? Like, was that a help? Oh, absolutely a help. Um, but that was Nick and I. And again, right from the get-go, that's he and I, we, every chance we got, we were in the forest or on the water. Every day I'd pick him up from daycare and uh, yeah, get him some dinner and we'd head out to the park for a, a long walk and let that little kid energy burn off. So yeah. yeah. Did you, yeah, like, no, did you have a go on? No, just lots of time outdoors in nature. That's, yeah. that's. That's always been my uh, safety net. Right. Yeah. I agree. It's my go-to fully. And actually right now with, with COVID, I'm sure a lot of people are feeling this as well. Like I haven't been out. I mean, some people are really good at doing it and just pushing through and making it happen. But because I work from home, I feel like I've just gone into a bit of a hermit phase where I, as you say that, I, what, I, what it takes me back to is feeling it when I was the single, in the single parent. So we're co-parenting. And then when he's with me, just a huge sense of um, what's the word? Not like it's not like being a hover parent, but just like a sense of responsibility. So that I wouldn't take time to say, hey, let's get a babysitter. I'm going to get a babysitter in. I mean, he was so young at that point anyway. I just I don't know. It's kind of hard to give up time with him almost. Yep. But you've got him full time. Like, did you feel like maybe I need to step away and have a day to myself? Or was that just not? Oh, God, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it's, it's exhausting. I mean, parenting is exhausting. Um, and not having those breaks. Uh, so no babysitter for you? Like there was no one you could tr trust? Not, not really, no. I mean, early on when, when Nick's, when we were in living in Bellingham and it was that whole battle of visitation and that, um, most of the time I would drop Nick off. Within four hours, I'd, have a phone call from him saying hey come pick me up she's not able to care for him kind of thing and he didn't want to stay there anymore so i never really had lengthy weekends to just kind of sit on my own that that really wasn't there um found that really exhausting and then on the times where Nick went with his mother to visit family down in the South for an extended period of time. It was just opening all up all kinds of trauma for me. It wasn't restful, relaxing. Right. At yeah, all. Yeah. It was, it was worry about Nick and what's happening and getting phone calls from him. I mean, that it's, 
I made sure that he had access to phones so he could call when he needed to. Um, and this and is pre was, FaceTime and stuff, isn't it? It's pre. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so this he, is early oh, flip cell phone. Yeah. 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 So did he have his own cell phone? Did you set that up or did he have I a did. landline or, Oh, you did. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he couldn't, uh, he couldn't get permission to use the phone at his mom's house. So I bought him a cell phone and, and that just for safety. I just, there was no other way for me to, to feel good about feel it. Comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So could he, and he had to hide it away or is this something that his mom knew and just had to accept he's got a cell phone? He hid it away and she also had to accept it. Uh, right. Another, it, it took court. I mean, it basically. I was going to say, yeah. Did you have to, did you get it in writing that he has a f- access to this phone? Yeah, eventually. At, right. at first it was, I just went out and bought it and did it. And then it was a problem. And then there was a filing made in court and I had to go to court and get support from counselors saying that it was a smart move. And Oh yeah, this. really? Oh yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's too bad when it gets to that stage when you just have to go back to the court for every single little thing. It's, yeah, um, yeah it's draining. It's it is. It too. is draining. And it, it, I found in, in courts, it was his mother got the benefit of the doubt all the time. Interesting. It, so you had to go the extra mile, you feel? Oh, to- absolutely. If, I, if, if shoes were reversed and I was the one dealing with alcohol problems and addiction, some of the things she did, I, I would have been in jail as a man. I would have been in jail. Um, whereas she lost some visitation for a month, was told to go into a program and most of those programs, I mean, you can close your eyes and get through it and she'd get visitation back. And it was, it was just that constant process of getting visitation, doing something unsafe with Nick, losing it and back again. So did you, was it, do you think it was easier dealing with the court system once you're in Canada or just same, same old, same old? It sounded like the same old, same old. I'd never, I, when I came to Canada, when we moved back to Canada, I, I did talk with an attorney, um, but it was suggested that I just leave everything alone because it would basically restart the whole process here. We'd have to go back through the the whole interview and all of that business, and yeah, it. Uh, I had U.S. permission and just left it at that. And luckily, that nothing else was pursued by uh, his mother's family. So. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. So he's got the phone. Like so. Aside from him having, like, he could pick up the phone anytime and call you. That must yeah. have been a well huge relief for both of you, I'd imagine. Oh yeah. Are there any other are there any other little things that you did to try and um just in terms of attachment like is if he's going down there for a chunk of time how long would he be going down there for oh anywhere from two weeks to a month yeah yeah they really wanted him down there all summer but i i mean two weeks was pushing it for nick he was ready to come home. right right yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, ama- that's an amazing attachment that you've managed to, yeah, create that kind of nest for him here where he feels like, yeah. So, because so, the reason I ask you is I've, this is something I have to deal with because, as you know, um, my boy, my older one who's seven is yeah. now in the UK full time. So he comes back here in holidays. Um, I actually had a much better experience in the UK court recently where mm. I really felt they, 
were hearing and supportive of, um, you know, maintaining regular sort of holiday contact with dad and with his, because he has a brother here too, a younger brother and his stepmom as well, my partner. Um, and I felt that, yeah, I really felt very differently about my experience over in the UK course as well. Um, but what I was doing was going to, I went to a counselor about attachment. And so one of the things that was really cute actually was, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the book, but it's about the heart string and the fact that no matter how far apart you are, there is from your heart to their heart, there's this string that attaches you. It's an invisible string. I mean, it may be called the invisible string, but, and he was young too. So it was like, it's a book aimed at very, you know, young kids, but he, it was really nice reading that to him. And so that he felt that comfort in terms of like, no matter where you are, dad, like, I know that I'm in your heart kind of thing and, and vice versa. And that was one, yeah, just that little simple story, I think for him really helped, yeah, sort of sell him. And I think as well, knowing that there's a way of communicating on a regular basis. So I don't like, so he has an iPad that I bought him and his mom had agreed to it when I first did that. And I've since upgraded it. And um, yeah, he can message me. He can send me a picture. So sometimes I get emoticons of hearts and like, um, miss you dad. And all these yeah. kind of things, which is, and he write, he can actually write uh, or draw. I should say, sorry, yeah. there's a little drawing pad on there, and he can draw hearts. And he sometimes draws a picture of him and me holding hands with a heart over both of us, nice. and just things like that. That I, yeah. yeah, having that extra access to like the iPad and be able to talk regularly. We talk most days. It's not always possible with school, but certainly yeah. if he if he wants to call, he can. And uh, I believe his mum supports him in that fully, and she's been good, really good like that. So yeah, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? But it's just yeah. trying to find those little, and two weeks a month, it's a long time. And you're this where he feels safe. Yeah. Like that's, yeah, that's a big one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's that safe piece. That's, that's really what I strive to do. If I strive for anything was just to try and give him a little bit of safety. Um, somewhere that he could be actually be a kid yeah yeah really. yeah i mean i gotta say what i yeah having said said that about seth being obviously like he's I, he's got two safe homes he's got one with his yeah. mom and one with me and that i'm forever grateful for is that yeah, yeah is that he still gets so much love in both homes he feels safe and that i agree i think the safety thing is huge for a kid i had that growing up did you have what was your upbringing like were you moving around parents together divorce parents parents together um different it, it definite different parenting techniques um i mean that's I generational saying, somewhat isn't it oh yeah i think a lot of the old school parenting was just yeah oh it, it's and understandably i i don't think we consider how much trauma particularly our fathers carry and how much that affects them and how much it, I mean, it, it comes from their fathers that went through all those wars and everything they've had to live through. So it, yeah, it, I felt love. It was, I think, difficult for my father to show love for sure. So that was my one goal uh, was, I, I don't think a day's gone by where I haven't told Nick that I love him. So. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I, yeah, again, I think generationally it's just very different now was, yeah. I feel like everyone I know that's a, the mom and dad 
So, well, for the most part. Yeah. yeah, very, very overt with that the expression of love and messages too. the messages of love. And with, with these days, you got emoticons, so there's hearts and there's people like little yeah. faces blowing kisses and all these things. And yeah. yeah, it's really nice that looking back, like if you knew someone else was going through that experience with the court system, really, is there? And I mean, you had a very unique experience because of the safety yeah. issues and the distance and things like that. Yeah. But is there any piece of advice that you would have, like, say, in the way that you dealt with the lawyers or counseling or, you know, what are a couple of things that you think helped you or would have helped you? I think in court, for me, I, I instructed my lawyer to take the high road. I didn't want to be slinging mud and, and all of those pieces. Um, her attorneys definitely threw all kinds of stuff out, but, uh, so it was that I, I felt taking the high road there. Um, and I think the biggest lesson for me, don't take everything personally. Don't take anything personally. Uh, nobody knows you. It doesn't matter if they're a judge or a lawyer or your ex, they don't know you. And, uh, and there's a lot of judgment out there. A lot of judgment out there. I think that's a really good piece of it. I like that. I like both of those. But I, I like the, uh, I can relate, I relate to the first one because I had a very good family lawyer. And he, his advice to me, as we were talking about tactics, was always take the high road. It was actually him telling me that. I think you're so right. And I think for you to be able to see that and, you know, and to want to take that road initially yourself, like power to you, like hundred percent. And oh, then, I, I mean, I, I felt the anger and, oh yeah. And the hatred. I mean, I felt all that burning nastiness in me, but it, I mean, it's your child's other parent. Your yeah. child is half of that person. And I wasn't as concerned about Brandy's feelings and issues, but I didn't want Nick to feel like I hated half of him yeah. or something or, or get that sense at all. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure it came through anyways. I, yeah. Talk well, it's hard. That. He's older at that point too. Right. I, I would think. So he's may, I don't know if he's picking up on the energy or kids are smart. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you're aware of how much they pick up without us even realizing that they yeah. are understanding what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that's another big piece is trust your kids. Yeah. Your kids know. Be it's true. You them. don't. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. It's easy to, to treat them like they don't know anything. They're not super smart. They're only kids. They're young, but I agree yeah. with you. And I, I re yeah, I really like what you just said about the whole judgment piece actually. Because you're right. It's really easy to take it personally. And you've got all of these facts. Say we're going to court, which is too bad, you know, in my head right now, but, um, yeah. but not to dwell there too long, but it's just that, yeah, all of this stuff gets manipulated and it's like, yeah. and it's, it's easy to take it personally when you're just trying to do the, be the best human for your kid that you can. And you just really believe that this is the best choice for them. And it's not personal against the other parent. You're being seen by other lawyers and judges and people in the community. And you're yeah. right. You're right. So right. Most of them, if not all of them, don't really know you. And it, yeah. But it's easy for you to get. There's a thing I think, I don't know enough about this, but 
there's a thing I think called spotlight syndrome. And I feel like I was a little bit, you know, kind of feeling like, you know, everybody's judging and, mm-hmm. and I felt that really hard. And mm-hmm. so I think to be able to move past that, like you suggest, would be such a healthy thing when you're in it. How you do that, I don't know. God, I don't have the answers. It's hard. It is it, hard. It, it's hard. It's, I mean, for me, it, I definitely took things personally and it would really feel it. And it took a lot of effort a lot of training really to get to the point and still working through it. I mean, you know, what helped me without being a cheese ball here, uh, but aside from the love from my child, which is two boys now, uh, but the love of a new partner and and skiing, you know, come ski season, that would be something I would do and climbing as well in the summer, but not as much as I would have liked, but then having a new partner and having that love was like, I think that saved me in the end. With the, the love of my kid and my just my close family was um, was huge. Yeah, it, it's funny for me. It, there were a couple of minor relationships between. Um, yeah. But I really, I my plate was full and I didn't have a lot of space for it. So, I yeah, I don't think I would have had the space. I think I just had enough space. You know what? Too is for a chunk of time, we were online online dating. And I think that actually really helped. I can't imagine. I can't imagine the full time with no support. It's just finding time. I mean, realizing that another relationship is taking other time away from Nick. And I saw how hard that was for him as well. Yeah. Really tried yeah. to work through things and, and that. But uh, yeah, it's uh, a big process. A big process of the uh, that judgment piece, too, that I was talking about something that you still have to look forward to is teen years. Oh yeah. No uh, doubt. <laughs> and, and then not taking that piece of what felt like judgment from Nick. And I mean that daily communication and I love you and stuff. It, it, he starts, they start finding who they are for themselves. And uh, yeah, there's big lessons in all of that too. So no doubt. Do you, do you guys talk very openly about stuff? Have you always been, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know we're, we're pretty open. Um, honestly, the, the teen years made it things closed up more on communication and, um, a lot more effort has to be put in to keep those lines open, just like any other relationship, honestly. So totally. I've, I've heard actually from some parents say, and I think this is even true of me even today is that when you drive your kid somewhere, like when you're that taxi and you don't have to face face to face with your parent, that it's a safer place to share. And I've heard that from a few parents. They, they say when we're driving, it's great. Yeah. Or even out walking or something, but that, yeah, I, I would agree where that face-to-face when you sit down, sit them down on the edge of their bed or on the couch or something, oh, let's have that talk. Never. Yeah. Yeah. It rarely, rarely did I realize that things actually sunk in for both of us. Yeah. Really. There was, there's a, a I don't know whether it's trying to make a point in that, at that time or, or what, but yeah, I, I agree. Sitting in yeah. the car, going for a walk where it's more, it's casual. Yeah. And you're not looking them in the eye, I guess. Yeah, totally. No. I could see that. No. Um, just maybe you could just share, like, what's he doing now? So he um, graduated from high school and uh, 
started pursuing a pilot's license. So he's, yeah, a couple of, two, three years, a solid flying time and whatnot, uh, completed his commercial pilot's license just before COVID hit, which is unfortunate. Uh, so there's a, a number of experienced pilots out there now looking for work as well. But uh, what kind of, uh, when it comes to commercial pilots, what kind of uh, commercial flying was he doing or was he about to jump into? His, his dream was seaplanes. Oh, wow. Wow. Fantastic. Be more the bush pilot than the, the large. I could see that. Yeah. I could see that very much. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Actually, I think one of those uh, outdoor trips that you guys went on probably solidified it for him where he had to, yeah, had the shoulder injury and then had to fly out by seaplane. Right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, He dislocated his shoulder and we, that was a, yeah. Float plane access canoe trip. Yeah. That's going to be a really great, I hope, profession for him once the, the pandemic settles again and yeah. hopefully he can get flying yeah. yeah he's he's fallen into landscaping now and he's enjoying that it's physical outdoors that's really what he yeah like so yeah. that's great that's another great job too something yeah. else well so that's something i did do a lot of actually for years when i was younger about his age i did a lot of landscaping yeah. good for him um so i know we're winding down now um what advice would you have right now, if you had any, for an expectant father? Who just to put you on the spot right there? <laughs> uh, again, I think it would be don't take anything personally. Um, and beyond that, when it comes down to parenting, do your best to take a breath and respond to your kids or your spouse or whoever it is, rather than that instant reaction Uh, it's tough but whenever i reacted i regretted it yeah and if i could just stop and breathe and and realize that you know this screaming kid just doesn't know how to express himself he needs something and respond i felt so much better yeah that's a great piece of advice yeah thanks for sharing that well i've really enjoyed chatting i hope we can do this for real um and uh, yeah. yeah, no, thanks so much for joining me on this uh, on this new podcast adventure. Yeah, I'm excited for you. It's uh, it's exciting, and I'm glad that you're doing this. I, I think dads, we need more. We need more dads out there speaking speaking their truth and and letting others know that uh, they're not alone. And now for a check in with my favorite psychologist and fellow dad, Todd Kettner. Yeah, so I was talking to Jason. Um, it was sort of coming up around the stigma of being a full-time dad. If you're a single parent and you don't, you're not co-parenting. You know, maybe the other parent, for whatever reason, is not local and in the scene. Um, and in both, you know, my case and Jason's case, different but similar in some respects in terms of just the long long-term impacts. Uh, you know, through the trauma of a long divorce. So, are there any? long-term impacts from the trauma of that kind of experience um how do they show up and how can we mitigate them i think we mitigate them in the same way that uh um we move through the other challenges of life whether it's you know a challenge at work or it's you know an injury from a car accident or sporting accident um we move we move forward we do our best we not only um um 
altruistically look for ways to help others, which we all know is, you know, a positive kind of thing. But something that is harder for many of us to do and, you know, to paint with a very broad, broad brush stroke here, um, you know, I, my sense is it's harder for us men to do is to be willing to not sometimes accept, you know, support. Um, and sometimes to, oh my goodness, even ask for it, right? Now we're willing to jump in with a mate and uh, do anything, right? Firewood, watch the kid, you know, chat on the phone. Um, it's much harder for us to call someone up and say, hey, you know what? I just am not getting to the firewood because, um, you know, I'm changing diapers. I'm, I'm taking my kid to preschool. I'm kind of hanging on a, uh, from a thread here. So, you know, yeah, trauma has impacts. Um, often, often these days, we, we only talk about the negative impacts of trauma. And, you know, I think we're well enough aware of those to, to not spend too much time on it. And while not minimizing that at all, we forget that uh, challenges bring us resilience, right? Um, you know, the the knights tempered their swords with steel and flame, right? You know, um, our, our, our lives um, bring us forward with a, hopefully a better understanding of who we and others are because we've been through things and kids are the same, right? Like uh, um, kids are resilient. And um, if we're doing our best and uh, getting it right most of the time, the kids are gonna be okay. Sounds a little trite, sounds a little simple. I think there's a lot of truth in it though, right? Because, you know, sure, we have adrenaline and cortisol throwing, flowing through our veins as a result of being worried and nervous. Um, and it activates us to reach out. It activates us to do things. And if it paralyzes us, then there's someone around us who can activate us and, and help us through that. And we can help our kids through that. Um, yeah. So coming together and balancing, you know, the the potential uh, negative effects with the recognize the potential positive effects, right? Of yeah. moving through things. I think, yeah, I totally agree with the resilience and the just, yeah, the findings, you know, you find your own coping mechanisms and you figure out, you know, what it is that you need to, to sort of fuel yourself to overcome those challenges. I wonder, so with the, with the trauma, I think of other, I don't, I haven't related this actually to going through a divorce, but is it fair to say that with the adrenaline, the cortisol, that's, you know, the stress hormones that do you get the fight flight and freeze are those reactions that could also equate to a going through a divorce in terms of you know i've been in emergency situations you know whether as a medic or a guide where and i know that i have a fight reaction like i don't run i don't freeze i have to cope because you know i've got people that rely on me do those does that in any way can that come out in a divorce? Those sort of like, you know, different people reacting in different ways. Oh yeah, exactly. And um, I think it's helpful for us to have that as a lens through which to glance once in a while, because it, um, you know, allows us to understand ourselves better. It allows us to understand that, you know, X who's, who's uh, really stretching us thin uh, for whatever reason and realizing that they're going through that too. And then the kid themselves, right? So we 
do as much as we can, as best we can, to have some normalcy and some structure and some regularity, right? Some schedules, some, you know, the teddy bear goes back and forth. Maybe the pillow does too between homes. Um, the recognition that when, you know, um, the kid's coming back from their other parent's household, it's going to take a day or two to readjust. And it's not just because whatever, you know, mom or dad was doing that they shouldn't be doing. And, you know, all these stories that we can tell ourselves and yeah, we keep our kids safe. But beyond that, some of it is just the change, the stress of, you know, moving back and forth, the stress of someone else different, picking them up from school. And so we, we move through that and we try and build in as much uh, um, contact and love and care and, and predictability in other ways to help balance out that teeter-totter of unpredictability. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. I think the routine for me certainly is something that um, really helped me. And actually my fight in this sense of going through divorce was very much diving into being a dad, uh, mm. stepping up, stepping up in a way that yeah. Not that I hadn't before, I was very much the dad, but I was just, that's what I threw my energy into was uh -huh. I'm dad, that's it. Forget the social life, maybe that was a mistake, uh -huh. but I'm like, I'm going to be here and present and, you know, these, this is what's going to help me get through it. And that love and, you know, that you get back from your child is like, oh, it's hugely um, rewarding, but also um, nurturing in, in that way as well. And I, uh -huh. I found a lot of peace in, in, you know, in that, I think. Totally makes sense. And, you know, there's, there's seasons, right? There's seasons to life, but there's also seasons to child rearing and seasons to uh, divorce and separation, right? That, uh, you know, we tend to, as a society, think of divorce as a point in time. Anyone who's uh, gone through it or loved someone who's gone through it or worked with someone who's gone through it knows uh, the point of, of, of the separation or the point of the divorce, you know, there's quite a prelude to it. There's quite a postlude to it. And so it's this season of life where, yeah, hunkering down and saying, my role is dad here. Um, you know, I'm going to get out less often. You know, I might even uh, be able to nurture myself less often or for shorter periods of time. And then kind of come out of that and go, hey, I recognize I can't, life is different now. I'm going to try and do little bits and pieces of what really nourishes me so that I can be the best parent that I can. Yeah. 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 Thanks for that. I appreciate that, that feedback. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for joining us this week on Dad Without Borders. A full list of episodes can be found at dadwithoutborders.com. And for updates, follow on Instagram at dadwithoutborders. You can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Google, or radio.com. While you're at it, if you enjoyed listening or you know any dads that might find value in this show, please share the podcast with your friends. Dad Without Borders will be back next week with another dad and further insights with Todd Kettner.